and here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Back at our regular, regularly scheduled time, Thursday, May the 12th, 9 a.m. Central Time. Thank you to our sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, and Systems Unlimited wanted to let you know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Please check out all our sponsors. We appreciate their support. How was the trip to Arizona, Scott? How's it going, Rob? Uh, doing well here. You know, just uh, got back from Arizona a few days ago. Or, well, actually, it was late Friday night, I guess, and uh, not suntanned or anything, just uh, kind of hanging out. And now you're back and it feels like we're in Arizona, except yeah. it's not as dry. Right, exactly. <laughs> the, the shade out there, I mean, it, it's just like everybody says, I've been out there too. You know, I lived out there for a little while and you know, it's 101, but in the shade, it's uh, about 83. So, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. And then uh, here it's, you know, 95 uh, out in the sun and it's 91 in the shade. So, <laughs> you know, uh, made sure I got some of my yard work done early on Wednesday, though, that's for sure. Yeah, my grass is grown, but it's going to have to wait till this thing mm. uh, cools off a little bit. But uh, yeah, appropriately called the Hotspot Podcast because <laughs> it feels like we're on the sun today yeah. here in Iowa. Iowa City, Iowa area. Um, got a number of topics here, um, off-season stuff. You just kind of never know what's going to pop up. Um, I think the most Iowa-centric news or discussion we have this week is the uh, evolving story of Chris Murray uh, in the NBA draft. Um, it was um, reported, I believe, on Tuesday – that he was invited to the scouting combine. It could have been Monday. It was earlier this week. Um, And then that same day or the next day, uh, I think it was the same day, it was uh, reported that he was not going to accept the invitation, turned down the invitation, um, listened to an interview 
with Kenyon Murray. You can listen to that on this podcast feed uh, from yesterday on Wednesday, May the 11th, and he kind of explained what's going on here. The best I can tell, Scott, is this is a very unpredictable process, and the Murrays are trying to make it as predictable as possible by focusing in on maybe two, three, four teams that are interested in Chris and seeing how interested they are and the likelihood that not only will he be drafted by one of those teams, but has a chance to stick at minimum a two-way contract. So that's what they're going to evaluate here. They're going to take it up to the June 1st deadline to announce. Um, And I think it's a smart play. Um, You go to the combine, you're kind of out there and you're getting feedback from a lot of teams and it really makes it more unpredictable. So I kind of understand the method here of what the Murrays are trying to do. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what they're trying to do. I've been to the combine and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a meat market. It's not that different from what you get at the NFL level, except there are pickup games and, and how you, you know, if you have a 20 point game and by some people you're viewed as great that, you know, another, you know, if you don't score or you get your shot blocked or something like that, it's like, oh my God, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, so it, it's really, it's an imbalance in really how these players perform on a day in day out basis. I think, uh, you know, Kenyon's a smart guy. We've known Kenyon forever and he, he will give his son the best advice possible. And ultimately it's up to Chris to decide what, what path to go. But I think if you look at his situation, there's not a really a, if, if he makes a smart decision. There's not a bad decision there. If he decides to take that leap, you know, an NBA team is going to take care of him, you know, as long as he shows that he's capable of being a, an NBA caliber player. And I expect that he will. Um, I went through a little bit of that yesterday and wrote it in today's Iowa mailbag on the athletic. And that was uh, if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, you have three second round picks. You know, if you take, uh, Chris with a really high second round pick. And uh, then you have your two way with uh, the Iowa, whatever they're called wolves. Now, I think they were the energy um, in Des Moines. That'd be a great spot for him to kind of, you know, first of all, it's close. Second of all, Iowa. So there's going to be a favorable audience and, and everything. Um, and, and he can get some experience, move up and down. And then you're that much closer to, if you take that, if you go, uh, and you're a really good player to getting your second contract, which is always so critical. Um, but if he feels like the feedback is that he's probably a, a straight G leaguer this year, there's not much, you know, he's kind of iffy or maybe a team would draft him and then say, man, you should go to Europe. Um, then come to Iowa because you're going to get good coaching there and you got the opportunity to, to do what your brother did last year and become at minimum a first team all Big Ten player, which is something to say if you're in this league and you're getting to be a first teamer. So I think this is a great opportunity for him to get that feedback. And, and if there's something that he just doesn't think clicks for him at the next level this year, he can apply that this summer in workouts and work on it at Iowa and be a very good player without it really affecting him negatively uh, at the next level. Without question. And I think um, what helps Chris right now is Keegan. We Mm -hmm. saw the leaps that he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year. And the NBA can say now, is that possible for Chris? 
and do we, you know, is it better for us to let him go back to Iowa, blow up, mm-hmm. and end up being a top half of the first round pick, mm-hmm. or do we let that happen in our G League team, on our G League team, or within that two way contract? And then we've got ourselves a steal here. We've got ourselves, mm-hmm. a, you know, a rotational piece at worst on our NBA team that we use the second round pick on. And that's what everybody's looking to do in that second round is to find somebody like that. And then from the Murray standpoint, you know, how secure do they feel like that's going to be, that's going to happen? How much do they trust said NBA franchise that they will do that for him? So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I envy the position they're in, and then I'm also like, that's got that's a tough decision. Um, but you know, it, it's it's better to not be in any position to play, play in the NBA. And uh, and I think it's similar. I mean, Keegan, I thought after his freshman year, lacked consistency. That was the one thing that I think his game needed. I saw yeah. that with Chris last year. There was inconsistency. Yeah. That I, I would bet that that's coming, um, mm-hmm. but we are a little closer to that situation than NBA t- teams are, so they may want to see it. So it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating study uh, with you know having the twins on you know different timelines, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's a twin brother, so their their games are not exactly alike, um, mm-hmm. but their bodies are, and it's an NBA prototypical three and D type mm. body. Yeah, right. Exactly. This is going to be a, uh, when you look at Chris, his game is a little bit different in that, that I think he's, he's more of a outside shooter. Um, mm-hmm. I think he can be that a little bit more and he's left-handed. So he's that skill set plays into it just a little bit more. Um, whereas I think Keegan's probably more, it's kind of like I would classify you know, I, I like the three and D, you know, you said, but I think Keegan can also play four if he needed. Yeah, I'm not as sure about Chris right now anyway. Uh, you know, and, and you're right when you look at upside and what these teams want to do, because if you can control a guy with a second round contract instead of, man, we missed on this guy, we could have got him. And, you know, now we have to go up in the lottery to get him or now we have to face him. Um, it, it's a gold mine. So I, I think it's really um, it's an enviable position in some respects, as you said, but it's also a tough personal decision, you know, for Chris as well, because you just don't know, um, you know, you want to, you want to be as sure as possible uh, because, you know, you know, and we've, we face this a lot with a lot of Iowa's players in the past, maybe Wieskamp is the exception, but um, in the recent past under McCaffrey is they've got, most of the players have been really polished, by the time that they've left college, that you kind of know what you got. And it's, it's that way in football too. But in basketball, when you have Devin Marble or Aaron White or Jared Utah or Luca Garza, um, what you see is kind of what you get. So that's why teams haven't, you know, drafted him in the second round and then, you know, said, okay, you know, either, you know, in Luca's case, two way and everybody else's case, go to Europe or, you know, Marble's kind of up and down. I think with, uh, with Chris more than any of the others is that there's that potential element that there's, he's just scratching the surface of what he can be. And, you know, that's what, that's what NBA teams draft on. They, if they want to go and get a, dare I say, you know, an Aaron White, they can go get it. 
you know, and there are a lot of players as good, even though Aaron was fantastic, of course, here, but there are a lot of players that can do what he does. If you can get a Chris Murray who uh, in the second round, who ends up playing like a lottery pick, who ends up playing like a starter eventually, or at least a heavy rotational guy, that's a steal. And you can control that for X number of years. So I, I think this is, um, you know, again, if I'm the Timberwolves, I don't hesitate. I pull that trigger and I'm happy about it. Um, you know, because he got three picks. I think the Magic have two. So it's a similar situation there. But three picks, Midwestern guy, you can put him in a comfortable spot if it's a if it's a two-way, you know, go work on your game, play a lot, come up here every now and then. I would do that in a heartbeat. And then if you if you're Chris Murray, if you got that guarantee, I'd go because you just never know what may come next. Yeah, for sure. And uh I th- he's been um working out with Keegan too. And, and, you know, they've been scouted together. So I think that helps him as well. Keegan has raised, I didn't think it was possible, but Keegan has raised his stock with this pre-draft process. We're hearing pretty sure top five pick at this point, which is just an, we've talked about it on here, just an incredible story where he's come from to where he is now. Um, And that's going to be great for the Iowa program. I mean, that is, you can't buy that type of advertising. Absolutely. I mean, how perfect is that for, for Fran, for anybody when you're looking at recruiting and you can, you can point to that in their development. And, and, you know, in some ways, I think people are a little frustrated that they haven't been able to capitalize on it, not by any fault of their own, but just simply because, Hey, look at, look at the players you've put not only, um, on the map in college basketball, but in the league, you know, and, you know, a Tyler Cook is another one and, and some of those players. So, you know, but if you can have a top five pick at Iowa the year after you have a first team, um, you know, the, the player of the year in the big 10, I think it really, it's something you can trumpet from the mountaintop. Yeah, no question. And um, we know Keegan is gone. The possibility is of Chris is being gone is, I don't know what percentage you want to put on it, but there's a possibility. Um, and it's not like out to lunch possibility. It, it's very plausible. So obviously that impacts what that roster looks like next year. It's, it's night and day without Chris Murray. So, um, you know, I was had, uh, you know, been in the running for a couple of big men uh, this spring in the transfer portal. Um, if Chris goes, they're going to have to do something. Um, and it's not like they're not trying to. Um, and then they're also trying to now fill a coaching spot with Kirk Sparrow announcing his retirement yesterday. So quite a bit to be decided yet with this Iowa roster and, uh, you know, the guys on the bench, Scott. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's really a huge, you know, a huge question because, I mean, Kirk Sparrow is, is a Hawkeye through and through. I mean, he played for Iowa's last regular season championship in 79. He was a grad assistant on the, on the final four team in 80. Um, you know, he went off and, and worked. I mean, he was, he coached Michael Jordan's kid at UCF <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's been at Iowa the, the duration of the Fran McCaffrey era. So, you know, you, you don't just replace coaches like that. We know it, it's probably a little more prominent in football just because of their duties, but, but, uh, you know, Kirk is known as the shot doctor. I mean, he's really helped a lot of players with their outside shots and enhanced them. So, uh, that is going to be a challenge for the Hawkeyes. And, and then as you, you know, as you said, you know, with, with both Murray's leaving, I mean, you know, 
Keegan has a chance to be the highest drafted Iowa player in history. I mean, Freddie Brown is, is, uh, you know, was drafted six overall or yeah, six or seven, uh, sixth overall. So, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. And then if Chris Murray goes there again, you know, you're losing just a huge part of your team. So, um, it's fascinating to, to think, I mean, people are kind of automatically, uh, cause it's Iowa looking at former players, but, I mean, I, I can think of one in, in particular that is going to get a very, very strong look. Uh, he's only only lives two hours west of here. Yeah, to me, Scott, it's fascinating to, to, to you know, I haven't talked to Fran, so I'm not sure what his uh, viewpoint is here in terms of, because do you just outlet it. I mean, Kirk Sparrow, 43 years in coaches, coaching, that's a really experienced guy. That's a guy who knows how to, write up a scouting report. That's a guy who has connections on the recruiting trail for years. Um, you got Courtney Eldridge coming in now for Billy Taylor. That's a really inexperienced guy. Um, you know, Matt Gatons has been in a full-time assistant now, what, two or three years, something like yeah. that. That's another really inexperienced guy. It's going to be interesting. To, and I'm not saying that's not, that's a bad formula. I don't know mm-hmm. what Fran is thinking in terms of his formula. But do you want two guys that, you know, are relatively, you know, inexperienced in coming up with a scouting report? That, you, mm-hmm. Recruiting, I don't, I don't doubt either one of those guys. They're younger. They're energetic. They're really personable, both of those guys. Um, do you want a guy that's kind of in the middle? And, and I don't know what Fran has in terms of his, you know, in his Rolodex in terms of connections he has from all of his other stops and just being in in coaching as long as he has, Um, you know, Dean Oliver's a guy that comes to mind, but what would it take to get him to kind of slide over? Do you make him an associate head coach and your number one assistant? Is that enough to get him to come back? Um, You know, Jeff Horner's been a head coach and successful D2 head coach and an assistant. There was the dust up when he was at North Dakota here. Um, that w- I, I don't know if that would impact it. Um, it could. I don't know. Um, those are the three. Ryan Bowen, I've heard his name come up, but he's an NBA assistant. That just doesn't seem like a, a move he would like to make. He's got a family and getting out there. And it used to be, oh, the, the college game, the college season is so much shorter. And, you know, it's not as much of a grind while well, with recruiting and full it's, it's year round in college now. So that, that doesn't wash. So I don't know where they go here, but it's an important hire. It's a super important hire. Fran hasn't had a lot of hires in his 12 years. I mean, you know, he had a lot of stability there with, you know, mm-hmm. Andrew Francis, Sherm uh, has Dillard has been with him since he got here. Kirk has been, had been here since he got here. But this was going to happen eventually. We saw this with with Kirk Ferentz as well. He had that stability for a long run. And then 2012, there was that turnover, which is, mm-hmm. is roughly the same timeline as what Fran is on. I would suggest he doesn't hire Greg Davis. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll start there, but <laughs> that would kill a, you know, that would kill a really good offensive program. Yeah, right. I mean, they would just be uh, racing, you know, taking three steps. It looked like six on six basketball. Why do they keep uh, going sideline to sideline instead of up and down the court? Right. I mean, uh, it's it's like six on six, two dribbles and move the ball. Uh, 
No, I, I, I think all those players, all former players should be in play. No question. I mean, Ryan um, Bowen, I doubt heavily, even though both he and his wife are well connected to this program yeah. um, just for, you know, their, their kids are college age now. One of them's playing, I think at least one of them's going to go play pro ball or I mean college basketball and another one's at a TCU. So, so, you know, I, I doubt that being the case today. And even then you take that really down move. I mean, he's more of an NBA guy. He's in the NBA for a long time and he's now been in the NBA for a long time. So I, I think maybe as a head coach, that's, that's a thought, but, uh, but even then you got the recruiting element. Um, I think Jeff Warner would be a perfect fit, but I don't know, again, the relationship that with him and Fran, how that all works. I, and, you know, Dean Oliver would be a tough one to bring in. I mean, cause that is Wisconsin to Iowa, man. That's, that's not an easy um, path for, for anybody, unless you could take that step up and, uh, you know, Matt Gaines, I think, would walk from Des Moines to Iowa City to take that job. <laughs> I'm no sure. Question. Um, but you but you bring up a great point. I mean, um, it really comes down to a couple of things. One, do you trust Sherm to be your number one? Do you think he can he is and, and we don't know that. I mean, everybody we like Sherm just fine. He's a great guy. But the you know, I don't know what the inner workings are like. You know, and that's you know, last year, Billy Taylor was the interim coach. A couple of years before that, it was when Fran had COVID. And then a couple of years before that, it was Kirk's were all when Fran was, you know, pushed out and you know, put on yeah. ice. For it. Um, you know, would they bring back an Andrew Francis? You know, it was a Cal, uh, you know, just I think to me, there, there are some, you know, really interesting moves. And, you know, I know a lot of fans will probably think, well, you know, maybe somebody who's got a little bit more of a defensive pedigree would be a healthy move for this program. But, you know, it also has to go collectively with what Fran teaches. It can't just be, I mean, it looks like, you know, at, at the surface level, it's like, sure, yeah, go ahead, get somebody who can teach defense better. But then it's like, well, the defense and offense have to work hand in hand. And and so I, I like all the thoughts. I think it's really an interesting discussion and I think it's a healthy one for Fran in this program because uh I mean he's he's uh got a contract through 2028 and with his son in high school his youngest son in high school he's going to be here that long unless he decides to take everybody with him and so I think right now it's what's the next step of Iowa basketball is it status quo and just move a few you know try to continue the success and one of these days get to the sweet 16 or is it, Hey, we've got to make a couple alterations here to, to keep us going. Yeah. And I've seen some tongue in cheek and some serious uh, speculation that Connor McCaffrey can be a player coach. Um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. I think he's go. I think if he chooses to go down the coaching path, he could be a really good one. Yes, absolutely. And I think he will be a coach this year, unofficially on the team. Um, yeah. He was last year and the year before, um, so you have that benefit of having him back. Um, but there's going to have to. This has to be somebody with at least a decent amount of uh, experience. And I and I and I would include Gaitens in that. I mean, it's not like he's never been an assistant coach at you know a division one level he has so um it's just a matter of Fran you know 
maybe it's the interview thing in interview process where Matt comes in and France sits down with him and picks his brain and sees how prepared he is for this next step. Um, and like Scott said, is if he is prepared, is Sherm prepared to take the step into seat one, you know, mm-hmm. and where is Courtney? L? He's got to put those pieces together to figure out what can be his best staff, not only from a recruiting standpoint, but from preparing this team night in and night out in one of the toughest conferences in the country. And, and that's why, at least when it comes to the, the former player perspective, you feel good about who could replace Sparrow from a teaching perspective. And, you know, Matt Gaines was a very, very good outside shooter. And his last year, when Iowa started to surge as a program a little bit more, he was really um, – he was an outside weapon. I mean, he was a good player and, and uh, you know, and, and Jeff Horner and, you know, was what the all-time leading three-point shooter before Jordan Mohanan's 20 years at Iowa and, and uh, Dean Oliver, you know, played guard. So I, I think they all have elements that can work in that, you know, background. And uh, you know, but the, the other thing we, we kind of forget sometimes, and I think at Iowa, we certainly on the football side gets really overshadows this a lot. And that is that, you know, Matt Gaines is probably what, 32 years old now. Um, you know, so he's not a, a kid anymore and he's been around. I mean, he, he did a, what a grad assistantship with Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he played at Iowa. He, he knows the game. He's been around it his whole life. Uh, he, he's been at, um, you know, Drake and, and they played well, um, you know, under Darren DeVries it's a step up, no question. And I would never say that it's not, but sometimes we, you know, I think people are, you know, are that way with Brian Ferentz, like, well, this isn't an internship and all that stuff. Well, Brian's in his forty years old now, you know, I mean, you know, there are younger NFL coach head coaches. There have been for a while. And then there are like in college basketball, I think Fran was a head coach at like 24, 25 years old. So I think he could do that. It's just a matter of, does he feel like his staff is balanced enough? Can Sherm take over as like associate head coach kind of the way that, uh, um, that, uh, you know, uh, what's his, um, that Sparag kind of held that uh, banner for the last few years. So I, I think this is, it's an important hire no question, but if they go with Matt Gatons, Matt is certainly qualified in my eyes. And, you know, and who knows, he might just move right up the, the ladder very quickly. Yeah, and that, you know, we're going over the, the, the same, same kind of uh, ground here again, but that's the, that's the thing. What Scott just said is to keep them, you know, in your mind. Billy Taylor was an experienced guy, a guy experienced enough and well-regarded that he's a head coach now mm-hmm. at a Division One school. Courtney Eldridge, who was basically the personnel director, moved into his seat. So you're – and this isn't a knock on Courtney. You're just talking about experience and, and having, you know, proved who you are and in, in this business. And can does Fran feel like he can have a relatively young Matt Gaines and a you know an inex, relatively inexperienced Matt Gaines, relatively inexperienced Courtney Eldridge? Will that work with Sherm and him? So because that would be by far the youngest staff he's had i mean mm-hmm. by leaps and bounds so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out oh yeah and i, I think this is it's going to be interesting to see what ends up ultimately happening and, and you know and one thing about fran is he's 
he's a veteran. I mean, he's been around forever as a head, as a coach. He played in the seventies. He's he was a head coach in the early eighties, and you know has been here for a long, long time. I mean, it's it's longer than most tenures. Um, so, I, I think it's really a, a question of you know what what are, what do the seats do, and and that's really the the big one. And then how does that parlay into how they work? And and I. I you know, and Matt, you know, I'm not, I'm not pounding the table for him, but I do think just for my recollection of him as a player and talking to him a few times since then is he has huge basketball acumen, is really a, a tenacious guy. I mean, he's very, very intense. And it's way too early in my view to start talking about succession planning um, because, you know, we pretty much think Fran's going to want to be here through Jack's um, tenure, I, you know, I'm just waiting for that <laughs> scholarship and offer. And for those that don't know, Jack has three more years of high school left. Yeah, right. So you're looking at, you know, three plus four plus, I don't know, at least one more red shirt year. And then yeah. we have another, hopefully we don't have another pandemic like six years, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, Matt to me is somebody that in seven or eight years, especially if he's becomes eventually the lead assistant, can be the um, the next head coach, you know. Now, I would also recommend somebody being a head coach somewhere else first, but that's just me when it comes to any position. I don't like somebody walking into a Division One school in the Big Ten Conference as a never been a head coach. But Matt Gaines is somebody that I think I would have faith that at age 37, 38 years old could do it and do a, a very nice job of it. I agree. I, I think Matt's an up and comer. I think he, like Connor, he's kind of been, mm-hmm. I mean, he grew up with, you know, learning from some really great basketball minds. Um, for those that don't know, I mean, you know, guys like Bobby Hansen and BJ Armstrong and those guys have been around Matt since he was old enough to hold a basketball. And, right. uh, you know, with his father being a former Iowa player and as, as as close and tight as they are to this program, he has he's really connected and has an understanding of what it is to be a Hawkeye beyond just him growing up here and playing here. Um, it's been his life. So no doubt in my mind that he could do it. Um, again, it just comes down to whether Fran feels like the makeup of his staff works with Matt in it now that he's made it, you know, already replaced Billy Taylor. And my sense is Scott, he probably knew this was coming with Kirk for a while now. So he's probably had in his mind, he's got his list and he knows kind of what direction he's looking in. He probably just has to, you know, dot the I's cross the T's. And um, I I just looked it up. Uh, Matt Gatons will be 33. Next month, he's got a birthday coming up June 13th, fellow Gemini. So mm-hmm. happy uh, early birthday to Gator. Yeah, right. <laughs> 33 years old. Man, do I feel old. I know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> holy cow. But... I remember watching him as a freshman at City High, man. It right. doesn't feel that long ago. Right. I know. <laughs> I remember I remember when he came in and, and you know, and it was like a really it was a big deal. And it was. And, you know, he was great at City High and they had a great team and, and everything. And uh, so, you know, he would be definitely a prodigal son. But, you know, if this doesn't happen for him here, 
now. I don't. It, it's not the end of no. him here in the future. No. In in my eyes, what I would recommend for him if I was Fran, and he just he decides to go in a different direction, maybe for a short period of time, because we don't know how much longer Sherm will want to do this. Either. Right. Um, it could be, you know, maybe stick one more year at Drake and then do what Jeff Warner has done, you know, and go to, you know, he's he's at uh, he's took a Division two team to the national tournament. That's not easy, by the way. Uh, that's a that's a difficult environment. I've I've covered Division two, um, and it's it's more like Division one in some ways because you're getting a lot of transfers. It's a transient type of, uh, you know, combination of transient and young. Um, undeveloped players meshing in some weird environments. But if he was to go be a D2 coach, maybe even a, a low level, um, low major for a couple of years, doesn't matter what his record is. He could be 11 and 22. Nobody cares. Get your experience and, and get the heck kicked out of you and maybe have a couple of good wins. And then um, in three years, maybe he's back on, you know, he's on this staff and then in, seven after that or five after that, maybe he's the head coach because that's something I could see in his future. No question. And, um, and, and Connor McCaffrey, if he wants to be a, a coach, he will be a head coach and a great college basketball head coach. Not, not just a good one, a great one, maybe and probably better than his father. I could do worse, could do worse than having those two guys on the staff mm-hmm. down the road. Um, and I know he's in better shape than me and a lot of us that are, you know, 50s, 40s, but Sherman Dillard will be 67 September 1st. So, yeah, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to sh- uh, shift gears here, easy for me to say, to some uh, college football scheduling. Um, I don't know, speculation is not the right word. Uh, just kind of looking about, looking at what could happen projecting, uh, prognosticating about uh, what college football scheduling. It's just, Scott, it just seems like every day I wake up, there's something new happening, you know, based on, you know, whether it's NIL or conferences or the NCAA going to Congress. And it's just, it seems like it's, there's a lot going on with college athletics right now. And um, I, I think, Conferences are trying to figure this all out, figure out what's going to work best and make them the most money. Uh, and you wrote about this at The Athletic in terms of scheduling uh, next year and beyond. Um, headline of that article is how Big Ten football scheduling could change in 2023 with or without divisions. Um, tell us a little bit about what you wrote in that piece. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating debate because of uh, what happened with the with the college football oversight committee voted, and this this makes perfect sense to just eliminate all to deregulate the requirements to to host a championship football game for each league, and and I think you know part of that is a few you know the Big Twelve has had to have a waiver, and so they allowed eventually they said, okay, if you play round robin, then you can have a, a championship game. And then there, uh, you know, the ACC did that during the COVID year. Well, the, you know, the, with the SEC growing by two more schools, by the Big 12 growing again by four, the ACC has a really 
weird arrangement in my eyes with so many different schools that a lot of them don't share a lot of the same histories that these leagues want to decide for themselves how they can they can declare a champion in, in a championship game and the Big Ten is among them. So what this means for all everybody is, I, I mean, the SEC could go a pod format, you know, all that's speculative. The ACC is farther along, and they're going to kind of do what I suggested the Big Ten do a while ago, which is everybody gets three protected rivals, then they cycle through everybody else, you know, either, you know, two years on, two years off, or every other year. It makes perfect sense for them. Um, for the Big Ten, though, there are a lot of different things that have entered this debate. And number one was, remember the alliance? Uh, may, may it rest in peace. How can we uh, ever forget the alliance? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and all the discussion of these games that they're going to play and everything. Well, the, it didn't take long for the Big Ten to realize that, yeah, um, okay, for every Clemson, Ohio State, and Michigan, USC game, and maybe Penn State, Oregon, there's going to be a lot of Iowa, Washington State, and Michigan State going to Boston College, and uh, Indiana playing um, Louisville. <laughs> and and does that make sense for the league? When you have, and, and I went through the numbers of, you know, I, I kind of cut it off at three and a half million viewers per game, and the Big Ten had 32 out of, out of, was involved in 32 out of the 72 games with at least 3.5 million viewers. And 18 Big Ten only regular season games had that, which was more than any other league. The SEC had 17. We know that's going to grow with Oklahoma and Texas, but still, those were the only two leagues that have more than four only games. Um, and when you, you look at the, the Pac 12, they had a total of three reach that threshold. And the ACC, including their championship, had a total of zero. So yeah. you are giving more to those leagues than what you are receiving when you take away those games. And those, you might end up, you know, their media rights package will is just about finalized. Um, from what I was told, it, it looks like two over-the-air networks and probably two cable companies. Um, and when you go with that, you might end up with a, a game or, or a handful of games on networks that's not in your purview. It's not under your direction. And so, you, therefore, you were hurting your media partners. And when you look at the number of games last year that reached that $3.5 million threshold, half of them were, were, non, were non-division. Half of them were the games like Penn State, Iowa. Penn State, Illinois reached it. Uh, Minnesota, Ohio State. Uh, you know, so there are, it's more marketable for the Big Ten to add, a, you know, seven more or continue to have seven more non-divisional games um, than to cut those off just for a little bit of variety. Because you have it under your direction, the, the networks are going to pay more and you're going to get more viewership, you know, within the conference. So therefore, the Big Ten is the Big Ten and everybody else is. Uh, when you start to look at how that impacts, though, the divisional alignment, whether or not they have it or not, that's where there's a lot of discussion still underway is what's the best path. As we know and we remember, you know, um, the alliance uh, lasted a little less than legends and leaders, but not much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they could go with a competitive equality uh, component. I don't know that there's a taste for that because that's another that's. Even though, and that would include maybe 
you know, I'm just talking out loud. Let's say they flip Penn State and Michigan State to the westish and move um, Purdue and Illinois to the east. Is that is there a stomach for that? And then you got to add more, you know, crossovers that are protected and all that. Uh, their status quo, which I think is winning right now. Just leave it the way it is, and we'll figure something out later on. And and then finally, there's the path that you know discussed a while ago, and the ECC is going to go down, which is everybody pick three games, they protect them, and then cycle through everybody else on a more consistent basis. And and I, I think there's a lot of interest in that. The one question that keeps coming up for the league um, and its teams is, who's going to pick Maryland and Rutgers as one of their three? And and then how are you? Maryland and Rutgers, right? I mean, they're going to play each other. other. Three, three. <laughs> they're going to play three times. Let them play three times a year. Yeah, and everybody else can figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like they would like to play Penn State each other. Well, Penn State wants to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and I dare say the networks who will have a say in this will say the same thing that you know when you look at those games and and the viewership. And that matters. When you're paying that much money, it matters. You know, five, almost 6 million viewers for Michigan, uh, Penn State. Uh, you know, nearly four for Penn State, Michigan State. Um, or for Michigan State, Penn State. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, 7 million. And it could be more than that in the future, and, and depending on the year. So you're not going to give that up just so, well, we want Rutgers and Maryland to have a little bit more of a rivalry flair with Penn State or with Ohio State or Michigan or whatever. So my guess is the way it's going right now is that there will be, it will maintain status quo. I was told that, look, right now we kind of want to see what happens with the playoff. And at the playoff level, um, you know, if they go to 12, it's not going to kill you not to get to the championship game and still get in the playoff. If you're, let's say, Penn State, which has chirped the loudest about this, and let's say on a given year, Ohio State's 9-0, and you're 8-1 in the East and 11-1 and overall, you're still going to get in the playoff. You're just not going to play head-to-head in the championship game. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's something that is probably going to be widely discussed. And ultimately, if there's any tweak at all made, this is just my speculation. I'm going on a limb here is that the league may have a little bit more uh, leeway in scheduling some non-conference games to, to juice it up a little bit more. Maybe Iowa would play Ohio state and Michigan with a little more regularity um, versus a true cycling through, which is what we've seen other than those kind of protected three to six year uh, increments that we've had over the last six years. Micro, Scott, how does this kind of look for Iowa? What's the best case scenario for Iowa in your mind? And um, how does it play out for the Hawkeyes? Honestly, I think it's uh, it, it probably doesn't matter either way. And that's strange. But if you were to say who are their three protected rivals, I think Iowa and probably the rivals would agree. It should be Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska. I don't think there's any disagreement with that. Northwestern will, will want to say something about that, and, and rightly so, but that would probably be your three. Uh, if you were to leave status quo, you're still playing the same schedule you are now. I think it's a good schedule for Iowa in particular because every team but one is on your border. 
you know, that's that's pretty cool. You know, you, you know, Purdue's the only one that's not, and it might as well be Eastern Illinois. So, I, I mean, I think you've got that border element, kind of a rivalries, historic rivalries with all of them. So I think if you want to stay in the West and not have any issues there, and I think most, most of the teams in the West are fine with that. Um, you know, it's really a couple of teams in the East, in particular Penn State, that, and I understand their point of view, which is, look, we've got Goliath in our path. You know, Ohio State is um, just annihilating teams. I mean, they're 61 and five in Big Ten competition over eight years. They're, uh, you know, 18 and two crossovers. Nobody else can compete with that. So it's not fair to Penn State, maybe Michigan, Michigan State to always have that, that blocking your path. But, you know, at what cost are you doing? So I think for Iowa in the micro, status quo is fine and probably the path to, to, to choose. Just speculating that we go to 12 playoff teams, what's best for the conference? Because as you laid out, you could have, if you did away with division, so to speak, and you had, you know, odds are you're going to have Ohio State and then Penn State or Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa. Those are kind of your contenders, I would think, for that second spot in a Big Ten, a Big Ten championship game. What would be, does it benefit the Big Ten to stay in divisions? Have this is just you know mm-hmm. one case. Ohio State wins the East. Iowa wins the West. Um, Penn State or Michigan's eleven and one, and in that second spot, is it better for Penn State not to play on Ohio State and Ohio State not to play a Penn State instead of you know and, and have Ohio State play Iowa? You know, you're trying to maximize how many teams you can get in the playoff is, is really what the goal will be. Um, and, and there's and it, it's not an exact science either. You have, you know, mm-hmm. some circumstances that could happen. Uh, you just don't know um, based on what happens the regular season. But what's the in your mind, what is the Big Ten thinking in terms of what is best for it? That's a great question, Rob. And I think what they're doing is that they're looking at it through two different different prisms. One is you're looking at it from a playoff perspective. If it, go, I, the likelihood is it's going to go to 12 teams. There are going to be six automatic qualifiers and six at-large teams. I think the Big Ten would look at it as we need to get three teams in every year. That should be our goal, three teams. Yeah. And is in the current environment across, you know, geographic divisions, the, the pathway to doing that. Obviously, you're going to get your champion in. That's going to happen. Um, you're going to probably get your second East team in. Um, can you get your West champion in too? Um, let's say, let's say that what we had last year, you would get three teams in, but it wouldn't be your West champion. I would not have gotten in, but Michigan State would have gotten in. Uh, would it make more sense if there would have been a Michigan? Ohio State rematch instead of Iowa. Can Iowa get a better pathway? I think, I think it just depends on the year. You know, if you have a competitive championship game between two teams that are ranked highly, you know, if you have an 11 and one West champion or even a 10 and two West champion and you have a very competitive game and then, you know, then I think you feel good that you can get three teams in. If you have a 42 to three game, like what we saw in Indianapolis last year, 
the, the West of Champion didn't deserve to be in there based off that performance. And I think we could be subjective and or objective enough to understand that that's that's the case. So if I'm the Big Ten, you say is the best pathway the top two teams in a straight 14 team league or current alignment. And I would say I probably think they skew towards the the status quo right now. I just I think that you know if there are two races. They, they equal out. And, and and part of that, and the other prism, which feeds into that is, what do the media partners want as far as, you know, big time games? Right. Because, you know, when you cycle through, you know, some, you know if you miss Michigan, you, now you're guaranteed to get those four beasts of the East playing each other every year. And uh, likewise in the West, you're getting a, you know, Nebraska still carries some, you know, cachet when it comes to television. Just ask uh, it. Yeah, I know. And if you don't believe me, just ask it. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, those teams do, as long as they're not head-to-head with, you know, the, the beasts of the East, like what happened last year. So I think it's – and then the crossovers do so well. Um, Wisconsin, Ohio State, you know, Iowa, Penn State, you know, that, that they did so well that I think – they want to keep those in place too. And they would rather surrender an East West game with regularity versus an East East or West West game. So my guess is they go status quo, but maybe the the league takes ownership a little bit more and says, okay, but we want more the ability to schedule games uh, for the following season, the crossovers um, to, to be able to do that a little bit more ourselves. So maybe we could get like this year, Iowa plays Ohio state, Michigan. So it's fine. But on the years where they would get Indiana, Maryland, and Penn state, I think uh, last year, maybe we say, you know what, why don't we see if we can nudge a better, you know, maybe an Iowa, yeah. Michigan state, you yeah. know, on that schedule to get, you know, another higher, higher profile game. So, and then when you're dealing with 14 team league, then you got those tiebreakers for the championship game that could be really problematic um, when we know all about that. I mean, if you get a 9-0 and Ohio State and then three 8-1s <laughs> and maybe two of them played, but the other one didn't, you know, that, that, could, be, that could be very troubling. And you're always going to have some pitching because it's an unbalanced schedule and people are going to say, well, they got to play them and we, didn't, we had to play these guys. And that's going to continue unless you go to a 13-game schedule conference only and that ain't happening. Um, it would be really helpful if the West could win a, a Big Ten championship game. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that, that would obviously help make the status quo a little bit more uh, palatable. But uh, we'll see. It'll, it'll happen eventually, and, and we'll kind of see where, where things go from there. Uh, shift gears to um, the NI, our weekly NIL discussion, Scott, uh, how the NIL world turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the NCAA wants to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, good luck with that. Um, and I, I thought about this, and they're like, well, you know, this is boosters just giving players money for not doing anything. All right, so now we're going to – our collective was just giving money out, but now we're going to have the athletes do something for the money. So it fits into NIL. So we're going to have them sign autographs. They're going to come down to the car dealership. They're going to blah, blah, blah. The, the, the collectives aren't going away in my mind. I think they'll just adjust unless the NCAA tries to go all out in 
regulating this stuff. And then once you do that, now you're dealing with antitrust and it's a mess. And we've talked about this. You and I have been on this since day one. The NCAA screwed up and now it's got egg on its face and it's trying to save some of it. And good luck. What a representative for the for the environment for the the, the college <laughs> athletics the NCAA has been. I mean, because the coaches are freaked, the administrators are freaked. When I was out in Arizona last week, there was uh, there were meetings among the the Big Ten, Big Twelve, and ACC um, administrators, and, and some coaches were out there trying to. And almost all of them that I've talked to, you know, just casually, were like, you know, you. I don't know what we're going to do. We're all, you know, and they're all in the same boat because they're all freaked out about what's going to come next. And um, they're freaked out about getting left behind. They're freaked out about whether, um, you know, you know, the people becoming transient, you know, that they, instead of being student athletes are more like vagabonds, you know, that one year, Hey, I'm going to get NIL, soak it up at Ohio state. Next year, I'm going to transfer home to Texas and be quarterback there. And, and then maybe two years down the road, well, A&M's got an opening. I'm going to go down there. And, and, you know, and so it's, it, for all these years of standing in the way, it's gotten them, you know, a wild, wild west. So, and, and they all know that's the case. So what, what happens next? Shit, shoot, I don't know. I, I mean, I think they're going to try to establish some rules. I don't know what they could be, though. Um, you know, I think one pathway that I think works a little bit is is this uh, transfer portal closing for the next year on May 1st. I think that's a, that was a good step because you don't want people filtering out, especially when school is out of session to constantly get, get hit up because that'll happen more regularly than it would even during the school year. So beyond that, Rob, you got any suggestions? Cause I'm sure they're taking them. Yeah, no, they, they didn't listen to anybody this whole, you know, it would be good ideas if there was like a player student athlete union, mm-hmm. you could negotiate what's fair for both sides. Right. But nobody could see that coming, right? Nobody, Nobody suggested that there might, that might work. It's yeah. just a, it's just a, uh, it really is just, a, um, you look at it and you're just, you're, I'm, I continue to just shake my head and say, how did, how did they, how did smart people that get a lot of money allow it to get to here? And I think it was ego. I think it was, you know, thinking that, this wasn't going to change because it wasn't like this. And, and you still have people saying, well, this isn't the way it's old. Well, this was coming and you should have seen it coming. You see everything, you know, you see other things coming in this to not think that the student athletes were going to get a bigger part of this pie, especially when we hear those next, the next TV deal for the big 10. I mean, specifically to our conference, it, it, it was just ignorant. It was ignorant and egotistical, and they're going to have to pay for it at some point. I agree with you. The transfer portal thing could slow things down because then it's not just an open market. Mm. Um, but at the front end, you're still dealing with it. You're dealing with, you know, and I'm not putting it on this kid because I think he's a money grubber or he's, this is what's going to make his decision. But Caden Proctor is, is a local example for us of a guy who is a hot commodity right now that Iowa would like to get, but a lot of other schools would like to get. And should he just say, 
ah, I, I love Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. I'm going to go there. They don't have a collective. They're, they aren't giving me anything. Or do I listen to what Alabama and Georgia has to say? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's unfair to label kids like that. And again, I'm just using him as an example. He may say, hey, I just prefer Iowa. I don't care what other schools are going to offer me. But we've seen what's happened with Iowa basketball in the transfer portal. Uh, We've seen, um, and again, not saying Kyler Casper would have ended up here, but there was incentive for him to go somewhere else in addition to going to somewhere where they actually complete passes and throw the football. Um, (laughs) I kid, I'm kidding, but this is, Uh, this is what, schools need to deal with and Iowa needs to get its shit together. hundred percent. At this point, it's, it's time to get off the pot um, because everybody else is doing it. And if you get left behind and I, I wrote about it today, I, that was part of my mailbag was people asking about, you know, does the NCAA involvement kind of scare people off for this? It doesn't matter to me. I mean, the NCAA is over there. Don't worry about the NCAA because the NCAA is, toothless and and got its claws taken out so go do what you got to do but the the when this goes from being mild irritation like all right come on let's get something going to what the hell is going on here is if somebody like Caden Brocker commits to another school then it's like you lost your in-state recruit because you couldn't get your shit together and now he's still only a junior in high school Right, And there is time and there can be assurances made that, Hey, just give us some time. We're going to get this all figured out and we'll, we'll make sure you get yours. Okay. No, no worries here. That to me is probably what's going to happen. You know, no matter what happens with this case, I can't imagine that Iowa saying, just give us more time and and that's it. It's going to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of you. The interesting thing in that regard, Scott, is the the recruitment part of that, where if Nick Saban sits down in his living room and says, well, you know, this is what we have on the table. What's Iowa got? Mm-hmm. Well, they're telling me they'll give me something. Well, we yeah. have this tangible right amount for you. That's why I, that's a big reason why you have to move this along. Mm-hmm. And you think about it. <laughs> I wrote that. I wrote that story about the 1920s collective. What it was, um, you know, to, to, for the betterment of football players at Iowa, <laughs> and yeah. athletes, and and they got them thrown out of the Big Ten, and now they have to have it 90 years yeah. later, or they're not going to compete. But but you know, it's it, it's it's time. You know, if if they've got something underway, even if it's not completely finalized, they probably need to announce it. They need to say that we're calling it this. And it should be fully operational by X. And here's who's involved when this is what we're looking for. <laughs> I think if you've got the, even the groundwork set. because That's what Iowa State did. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Iowa State's still in the process of finalizing things, but at least there's, it's released a plan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and that's what they've got to do. And, you know, this, it, it's easy to be careful but you don't want to be too cautious. You don't want to be risk averse when it comes to this, because if you lose great recruits, it's going to bite you. It's going to bite you big time. And, I, and again, if you lose, I mean, Proctor probably is not going to go to anywhere that's a rival of Iowa's per se. 
but still the the body blow is is you know what if they had a tackle last year <laughs> I mean yeah. they would have been they they would might have won another game maybe they at least win the bowl game um you know and, and if if they have if they lose that tackle and they're playing Wisconsin and on third and eight they got a chance to be in field goal range even with a short pass to win but your tackle's not good enough and you get sacked the strip that's on you for not having this damn collective. So it's time for them to, to put it together, get it ready to announce it, even if it's not finalized yet, but you got to get it out there. You got to get it out in public venue. So, so there can be some assurances for the recruits coming next month for their official visits, that they're aware of what's, what's going to be happening. And, and I do know that, you know, there are players that have signed with agencies uh, that signed with agencies even before they got on campus. That's, that's perfect. That's what you want. But there's also um, you need to make those assurances to those players because you sure as hell don't want to lose a, you know, you know. You imagine Kai Black and uh, Jamison Pat. What if they go to Iowa State instead of Iowa? You know, and they beat Iowa two out of four years. You really want that because you, they announced their collective first. You know, and that, that's maybe that's too shallow, and I'm not giving the kids credit for what they're doing. But still, that's what happens in recruiting. Yeah, and, and, and as Scott said, we we want to kind of clarify that we're not saying that any of these kids are out here trying to grab money but the the landscape now allows for it so you have to be in the game to be able to play it and Mm -hmm. i was not in it right now it needs to get it yeah so right and and i and i yeah i don't want to put any pressure on any young person picking a school it's not at all what I'm, I'm talking about here i think it's just a matter of it's up to the big boys you know the people who make money and and uh you know with this you know this year iowa was projected to make 55 million dollars from the media rights deal from the big 10 when the next one comes up you know in 2023 to 24 that's going to jump 90 to 100 million dollars so for all the the boosters that iowa has and there are a lot of that give almost religiously, they tie to the Church of Hawkeye, that maybe it's time for the, the, the Church of Hawkeye to suggest, you know, let's get, let's worry about the players right now. Put that in a different collection plate. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, ca- I'm Catholic and I've had collection plates for building a new, uh, <laughs> you know, for doing, building this and doing that. And also here for the church. And so, yes, yeah. that would be, uh, you know, not to use the religious, uh, you know, aspect the whole time, but analogy. Yeah. <laughs> but but that, that's what I would say, suggest that if they could get funnel eight to ten million dollars to that through their bo- boosters, then you're you're not going to have anything to worry about. You'll get who you want to get, and that's really what it's all about. And get creative. Just get creative with your your collective, and and do, you can have a good plan, you can have an admirable plan, you can have something that really attracts student athletes beyond maybe just the monetary part of it. You can, you can do it. I I know you can. There's a lot of smart people out there. Speaking about recruits, Scott, Iowa landed another one in its 2024 class. So already four guys in that class, Um, Preston Rees from Monticello, Mm-hmm. Um, a he, he kind of fits the mold of you know what Iowa's gotten a lot from in, you know Cam Buffington's another player in that class who's kind of right. a basketball player uh, the kid from Williamsburg uh, Derek Weisskopf 
basketball player, long, linear, athletic, really top flight kid that you can already see. They're only sophomores in high school, but you can kind of watch these mm-hmm. kids and understand how good they are. They, they offered Preston uh, last month during the junior day. And uh, he had told me that uh, he pretty much knew that Iowa was where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. It's great for Iowa to lock up those kids as early as possible. You know, they're sophomores in high school. I mean, Buffington was a, a freshman, but you think about Aaron Graves. They locked him up right after his freshman year of high school. And now you look at him and you're like, yeah, you're pretty happy. He's coming yeah. into your program. And, uh, and with and Iowa think, State, with Matt yeah. Campbell, it's tougher yeah. now than it used to be with Paul Rhodes. So getting and identifying and locking up early has become more important. Yeah, because Matt offers really early. And yes. Matt is a really good recruiter. And so are, and they're a really good coaching staff. I mean, you know, last year when they kind of fell over themselves a bit, but, but they lost a lot of close games. And we've seen that happen here too. So I think uh, you, you want to identify and get the ones that you can get kind of in your pocket for now. So then when there's the ones you got to do battle for, you can identify those and, and follow up. But uh, there's no harm in, in all, you know, all three of the, well, they're all four are local or, you know, in state. Yeah, I don't want to leave Cody. Cody Fox is also a basketball yeah. player. So all four of these guys are pretty good high school basketball players. And, and a couple of them are really good on the AAU circuit. Right. Well, you just won't get that net wrestling narrative <laughs> so far, but uh, I'm sure that'll happen eventually. Um, but I, I think, you know, you've got some position versatility with uh, the three of them. I mean, obviously, Cody Fox will be an offensive lineman. Um, they're small town kids. So, you know, they'll, they'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see how they develop and where they end up. I mean, uh, you know, I think Buffington definitely will be a linebacker. But the other two is, you know, it's just kind of, you know, their bodies may change. Yep. You know, they may put on 30, 40 pounds and it's like, hey, you know, go here or play defensive end or play linebacker or tight end. or So who knows? I mean, I just uh, but I think locking them up is good. And then, you know, they seem to be in decent shape thus far with their 23 class. However, um, you know, next month is going to be absolutely critical uh, to what happens there. Yeah, coaches out on the road now uh, during the month of May will return to campus and then have camps and official visits in June. Uh, so next couple months will be huge uh, for the 23 class and beyond. Finish up here with a little Iowa baseball, Scott. Uh, Hawkeyes take two out of three from Purdue last weekend. Michigan State, no midweek game this week, finals week. Uh, at Michigan State this weekend and then at home, I think it's Indiana they finish up with at home, uh, the final series, Big Ten regular season series of the season. Next weekend, uh, Baseball America released its projections for the field of 64, has Iowa among the last four in. Uh, Hawks pretty much uh, right on that bubble, Scott. So have to keep winning these series. Yeah, you know, and, and this is another reason to hate Maryland and Rutgers because they're both the two teams ahead of them right <laughs> on the polls. They'd be winning the, you know, tied for the league title. Um, yeah, you just got to keep winning. You're playing those teams that are beneath you in the standings significantly. Go take care of business. Win five out of six out of those. And that, that's what I would say. Then you probably assure yourself you're in. And then depending on what happens in the tournament, Big Ten tournament, you know, you kind of change your positioning or – where you end up going. I don't think they're going to host a regional or anything, but I no, think, I this think is... baseball America has them. The last two have had them projected at in South Bend. Okay. With Notre uh, Dame being the host. 
you know, and I'm sure uh, Gary Bardo liked that on the budget because, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bus trip, you know, yeah. get some <laughs> fans there. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. You can get some fans there. Come you know, down Chicago, from Chicago. Yeah. Chicago land and even drive across. I mean, yep. it's, it's uh, of course, if I recall that once you get into Indiana on 80, it's like uh, yeah, orange, no. orange cone city. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Illinois slogan. We're under construction. Yeah, exactly. I, I always, that's why I always thought Iowa and Illinois need to play for an orange cone in football. <laughs> That'd be their traveling trophy. But, uh, but anyway, no, I, I think they're in really good shape. And then again, you know, they, they reached kind of that point maybe about a month ago, a little over a month ago where it was like, Okay, you got to get going, and and that loss last week what was it Illinois State, you know that was tough on them. Yeah. But stuff happens once in a while, and, and at least with baseball, not every loss is a killer. But but now they've got to beat the teams they can beat, mm-hmm. and they've got you know Michigan State six and twelve in the league, Indiana's eight and ten, so they've got a chance here to do something. Yep, and they've got an ace who gives them a good start to these series each week. Adam Major mm-hmm. is dealing. Uh, seeing him rising up a lot of draft rankings. So enjoy him. I would recommend getting out, and I'll mention this again next week, getting out next Friday uh, for the final series, his last uh, start at home. Um, He's probably going to be the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. I will have that for two years in a row, which is pretty pretty amazing. It speaks to what Rick Heller's done with this program. Yeah, it is. And, you know, they've had some really good pitchers and, and they've, they've switched pitching coaches from time to time. But I think right now they are, uh, they, they, they're just surging at the right time. And that's really an impressive part of this. I mean, they're at Michigan State Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They got to win those games. Then they go to what, Illinois, Chicago, UIC. Um, and then, and then end up with, uh, three against Indiana and, um, you know, it's so hot out right now. It'd be perfect to have them out, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, beer, they have a fireworks night even, you know? Uh, so I think that's, that's going to be fun. And then, and then what they're, they're wrapping it up with, uh, you know, that final Saturday is going to be a Saturday night game. So back to back night games. I think that's, or I mean, three straight night games, but back to back to end the season. I think that's going to be kind of fun. Yeah, I'd forgotten they moved those series up at the end of the year just for rainout purposes to make sure they get everything in. Um, I guess that'll do it for this podcast, Scott. We've hit the high notes here, and uh, we'll come back next week and update everything else on the latest happenings. Uh, University of Iowa Athletics. I uh, wanted to thank our sponsors again, Wild Rose Casino, Systems Unlimited, and Edward Jones. wanted to thank everybody out there for listening. And uh, we will talk at you again a week from today. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.